Okay. It's recording right now. It's recording right now. Okay. You can't use any of this. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> I'm starting now. This is Kate. Welcome to Two Pastors, Survive a Quarantine, and Make a Podcast. This is Yolando, and we are talking about what is astonishing us, what we're thinking about, and what we're preaching during this quarantine. And really the question is, what isn't astonishing me right now, um, for real? Everything is just extraordinary. And we were saying before we got started, um, you were saying that you were a little like disoriented and Mm. I'm saying, you know what? I think it's great just to be super honest and transparent about the fact that as much as we are really committed to continuing to do the things that matter to us, um, we're not trying to pretend that it's easy or normal, or like we really have any idea of what we're doing. We're just fumbling around right now. And I feel like it's really important to be honest about that because it gives other people permission to be honest about the fact that they're fumbling around and to not have it on lock yet. And really, we believe that God works through, um, you know, through faith, not expertise. So we're moving forward in faith. And we are not experts at anything. So there you go. (laughs) Yes, definitely. Yolanda is flustered. That doesn't happen often. (laughs) No, that happens all the time. Uh, I'm I'm, I'm a bit disoriented by all of this. Um, However, you know, as we were also saying, there's there's great light in this. I have... (laughs) I've discovered, you know what? I have a wife and a child. I have people living in my house, and it is great to uh, to be with them um, uh, in this time of quarantine. And um, as a matter of fact, I hear my six year old down the hall right now. Um, also, you know, I I do feel I do feel hopeful in all of this. Um, in, in in spite of how hard this is for many, um, the the, the difficulty of knowing that there are people who are sick, uh, people who are dying. Um, I think often about people on the front lines, like um, healthcare workers. I just got in from the grocery store uh, because we have a um, shelter-in-place order that takes place here in Charlotte uh, tomorrow, and. You know, I can't help but think about those folks who are working in my local grocery store. But in spite of all of that, I feel hopeful because I know that Christ is sovereign and Christ is in control. And I really do believe that scripture that says all things work together for good. And it's not that the thing we're going through is good, but I know that that Christ is working it out for good. And one of the things I have been thinking about, um, this is not what I was planning on talking about in the thinking about section, but one of the things that's on my mind is to um, do a short study of the history of revivals and awakenings uh, around the world and in our country. Uh, Because I'm thinking that a time of spiritual renewal seems to, come after a major disruption in the world. And so I'm asking myself, okay, is this the disruption that precedes a make a major awakening um, of, of Christians? Well, I mean, I think it's up to us, right? But I mean, I think that's oh. definitely the witness of scripture, right? Like after the exile comes a huge a reorientation and flourishing. And so I think um, I mean, and I've been thinking about this a lot in, in no way, in no way do I want to minimize the real pain and suffering and fear um, and loss that is happening right now. And I don't even mean, and this is real, but I, it's not just the matter that like high school seniors may not get to go to prom and, and I'm not belittling that, but I'm saying people that I love are going to get really sick. And I am afraid that some of them won't make it. And 
people that I love, people who I love are losing their jobs. And, you know, that might spiral at some point in the future to a loss of home to a lot. I mean, so I just, it's real pain and it's not nothing. And it's more than just, I'm stuck at home with my kids and they're driving me crazy. Um, People who are alone with in homes in a stressful situation with their abusers. I mean, people are in great peril right now and, and that matters. And I also think um, sort of what we have to walk the line is by naming that and grieving that and bearing witness to that. um, And even in the right way, co-suffering with people. And also we, we have, there's no choice. Like we are in this, we can't get out of this. And so it's right to say, okay, how do we look for the growth in this? How do we look for the goodness in this? Um, if we have to go through this, I, I want to be relentless in seeking out the blessing of it. And so just how do we articulate that really clearly for our people? Um, Because disruptions uh, do bring new life if we, if we're looking for it. So that's, um, that's real. Yes. I, um, Um, I Oh, go ahead. That's okay, you. Uh, I was this is say, the awkwardness of Zoom. In real life, we don't do this. <laughs> um, I, I was going to say, um, I don't know if you remember this, but about five years ago, um, I had a little um, scare with my heart. Um, oh, yeah, with your heart. Heartbeat. Yeah, and so I went to see a cardiologist, and I'd never seen a cardiologist before. And so the cardiologist did a stress test never had a stress test before. And so I had to ask, well, what is this for? He says, this is to uh, take a look at the level of functioning of your heart. And I feel, I get a sense that this whole um, uh, COVID-19 outbreak is is in some way a a stress test for the church. How, How are our systems functioning? If we, if we take a step back, it will give us a glimpse of what we're doing well and what we're not doing well. And and by the way, my, my yeah, I mean, I, (laughs) yes, no, I, and I definitely remember those days. And, um, yeah, I think what is interesting for me is to say a lot of what I love about church has been taken away. And I, I mean, I love the church. Um, and just not even like, I love the Grove in particular, but I just love church in general, <laughs> like even quote bad church. I just, I love church. Um, and a lot of what I love about church has been taken away. And just, I love the, um, I love the spectacle of it. I love the ritual of it. I love the, um, you know, the gathering in a physical place. I, I love that. Um, and that is all removed from us right now. And I love the programming. I, I mean, I love all of that and it's all taken away, but I do think what it makes you realize is it's not that those things are unfaithful, but they are just manifestations of the real thing that we're gathered around. And so, um, mm. you know, the heart of my community is our personal indwelling of God through the Holy Spirit. And that is not, you know, is not quarantined, is not limited. And, and so I think what it makes me look at is sometimes it's just so easy as a human to love the gifts God gives you more than God. Mm. And I think in this season where some of the gifts of being the body of Christ are taken from us for, for a time makes you realize like, oh gosh, but the things that are really essential and eternal are still here. And so if I'm not satisfied by those Mm. things, you know, what, what does that mean? Like, just, you know, it's not like I can't pray, um, or worship, but I can't be observed praying and worshiping in the same way, but that shouldn't, should not matter. And so I do think, I mean, I think the stress test analogy is good. I mean, we are so, so fortunate that so many of us have all that we need to continue to reach out, 
to connect to one another, to encourage one another. We have access to our Bibles. We have access to worship. I mean, we have access to what we need to be the church, even while we're apart. And so if we aren't doing that, then that's not about guilt or shame, but it is about just sort of observing what, what does that mean? Um, Cause yeah. I'm a huge, huge believer in community, but I mean, the church has had to survive seasons in the past when they couldn't come together with mm. regularity. And, you know, there, there've been catacomb days in the past that have been much more dire than these. And so, and, and great, I mean, as we were saying, like out of those disruptions, just great um, power was made manifest. And so, yeah, I, th- I think the stress test is a good thing. It's a really good thing to think about. Yeah, this whole season also makes me um, identify with folks in the world who are refugees, makes me identify with folks um, on our southern border. Um, and like you just said, yeah. I still have the vast majority of the comforts of life. And so when I am tempted to stress out about, oh no, the grocery store still doesn't have any toilet paper, and I think about refugees from Syria or, or, or folks yeah. again at our southern border, like, holy cow, th- those people are just going through so much more than I am. If, if, if this is a disruption for me, think about their lives. Well, and then you just realize if this is a huge disruption of me, then I had really wrong expectations yeah. of what I was quote entitled to. And that in some ways, I mean, and we, you know, we are all influenced by the cultures we're born into. And so the United States is just a marketplace culture. It's just, you know, I want what I want when I want it. And if I'm good enough, I have the power to get it. And, and so when, you know, that creeps over into our understanding of the gospel. And the reality is for us to live as Christ and to die is gain. And so this is a season where we really have an opportunity to shine. If if our goal is to say, God, nothing is promised to me, but nothing is ever, tomorrow has never been promised to me. And um, what I signed up for, what I said I signed up for was to pick up my cross. And so whatever this season looks like, there are resources for me to live it with um, courage and conviction and fruitfulness. And I just need to be honest about um, if if I'm not, it is not Jesus who's in short supply. Like I was reading a devotion today and they, the, the man who wrote it was saying, you know, the same spirit that was in Jesus is available to us. And so, I mean, that's a pretty astonishing yeah. thing to really sit with that if if Jesus were living through this moment, um, which I mean, of course, in a deeply metaphysical theological way, Jesus is, but if Jesus were incarnate in this moment, it, it wouldn't limit, it would shape the way he lived as the Messiah, but it wouldn't prevent that, right? And so we just, we have an opportunity to do the thing that we say is the ground of our being in this season. And um, maybe we do it differently, but we shouldn't be attached to how we live for Christ, only that we live for Christ. And so that doesn't mean that we have to pretend to be okay when we're not okay, or pretend to be happy when we're sad, or pretend to be experts when we're novices. But it does mean that as we fumble through these days, we recognize that there's just, there's huge opportunities for spiritual growth. And again, since we can't get out of it, we might as well get something out of it. Mm. And so that um, is what, just what I'm trying to um, center myself on in these days. And I'll just be totally transparent. Like, I mean, I, I struggle with anxiety. I've written some pieces about it for a church blog. And um, I, I mean, that's just something that I, I live with and walk with all the time. And so in some ways that makes me prepared for the season. And in some ways it makes me extra, like, like I can freak out and feel like the world is ending, you know, <laughs> in 2016 in 2017 and 2018. I mean, so obviously um, when, when outside events begin to sort of, um, you know, mirror that, that fear that that's overwhelming for me. Um, but I, 
you know, I also, when I'm, so at night I will say like, I, I in bed and feel like I, I can't breathe and wonder, you know, gosh, am I, am I, you know, is this a dry cough? <laughs> Have I lost my sense of smell? And I Google, you know, stories of, you know, what the manifestation of this virus looks like for people. And I, I seek out information even in times when I know what I need is not more information. What I need is, um, to return to the things that I believe are eternal. And, you know, sometimes I do well with that. And sometimes I do poorly at that. And I'm not, you know, I don't need to be my own savior. Um, but I also, I know that there are resources for me to live beautifully in these days. And I'm trying to avail myself of them and trying to be, um, let Jesus be faithful to me so that I can be faithful to the people around me. And, um, so anyway, that's, that's what is astonishing me and how I'm moving through this and um, trying to take a bath and realize we're going to be here for a while. And so I don't have to have this figured out by the middle of week two. Um, so, yeah. Boy, that's super important um, because I was in that place last week. I was thinking, okay, week one, it's okay to be confused and disoriented, but by week two, and as a matter of fact, I said to my <laughs> wife, by Monday, we're going to have a plan for family and church, and we're just going to work the plan. And guess what? Still a little disoriented. And I had to come to the realization, oh, wait a minute, we're going to be in this for a while. This is one of those life, not only life, but world-changing events like 9-11, like my child will never know what it's like to say goodbye, to hug someone at the gate of an airport because he was born post 9-11. Uh, there, there will be things that change permanently because of this. And it's okay to be in the season of, of disorientation. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm finally like settled with, with not having it all figured out and, and knowing that. And I do think as faith, I was just going to say, I do think as faith leaders, it's really important for us to make that visible to our people, because Mm -hmm. if we have this mask of omniscience up, then it makes other people in our congregations feel like they have to appear to be, you know, all perfect and all knowing in wherever their spheres of influence are. And so I think it's really important that as faith leaders, we say like, look, it's not that God has changed. Um, but, but this, but my routine has changed and my sense of normalcy has changed. And, um, my, I've lost the illusion of control, which has only ever been an illusion and sometimes a really destructive one, but to model for people, like I'm trying to figure out, um, what faithfulness looks like in this season, what right expectations look like in this season. And I haven't figured it out yet. Um, and I'm, I'm trying. Um, but uh, if you haven't either, that's really okay. Because we ought to be the people who know that the world does not keep spinning on the basis of our effort. Um, so we want to do, you know, the next right thing. And when we find ourselves, you know, that we've gone down a blind alley, we want to like, you know, turn around and back up and walk another way, but really not um, ashamed of looking foolish or looking lost or looking dependent on God's revelation. So, um, yeah, I think that's really important just to not pretend because I know that we want people to feel assured because we're not freaking out. So yes, I want to model for people that I'm, you know, when I'm out of my flesh, I'm not freaking out, but just because I'm trusting in God in this season does not mean that I know what I'm doing and I'm not ashamed to not know what I'm doing. Yeah. I remember, uh, before, um, we decided that we would, um, suspend all of our in-person meetings. And we had that one last Bible study together, um, in our church. I, started our time together just by asking people what they were thinking and feeling. And there was, and, and, and I, I want to be very gentle and generous um, to the folks um, in our church family. Uh, people, people made statements that said, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. And 
there was almost a feeling, a vibe in the room that asked, well, pastor, why are you even asking us this? Are you afraid? Right. And I was tempted um, simply to say, well, I'm just checking on you guys. I just want to make sure you're okay. But I, I needed to own, hey, you know what? I'm a bit anxious about this. I, I trust Jesus, and I know that no matter what happens, he holds the future, and I, we will be okay. But there is a, um, there, there's a, 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 a cloud here, a mystery, an unknown here, and, and I'm a bit nervous yeah. about this. And Well, and the road to okay can be unpleasant. We can just own that, can involve suffering and loss. And that's part of the story. And to me, one of the gifts of the Garden of Gethsemane is you see, I think I see Jesus is afraid. I mean, it depends on which gospel you read, but um, maybe not in John, but I, I think you see that Jesus was afraid. And the question isn't, oh, are you afraid? That means you have no faith. The question is, are you allowing your fear to determine your faithfulness? Are you saying, yep, God, I know that this is what I should do, but I'm afraid, so I'm not going to do it. Or are you saying, I'm afraid, but I'm going to do it anyway and trust you even in the midst of my fear. So let this cup pass from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. And I'm also reminded of that place where... I'm also reminded of that place where Jesus is talking about the end, you know, wars and rumors of yep. war and, and all these things. And then he says, look up. <laughs> he doesn't yeah. say, now you figure it all out. He doesn't say, now you come up with the, you know, the perfect plan. He says, no, look up, look up for your redemption draws near. So what were you going to say? Well, and I just think that um, I read a really interesting article somewhere and people could Google it about, I think it was from the Harvard Business Review of all places about, and the title was something like, what you're feeling right now is grief. And they were just talking about really right now, what we are as an entire world is we're grieving. We're having this collective experience of grief, unlike anything we've ever known before. And this is more disruptive than 9-11 because after 9-11, even as people were afraid, they could still gather together. They could still, you know, do the things that brought them meaning. They could go and, you know, grab their loved ones and share, you know, a meal. And we can't do those things. And so, you know, but one of the things that was just talking about naming how we're seeing the different stages of grief, um, Mm. collectively expressed. And so, you know, grief, one of the stages of grief is denial. And sometimes having faith in God's promises, we think that's just denial, like denial that anything is really wrong, denial that anyone who's hurting really matters to God, or denial that anything bad or unjust can ever happen to us. That's just really shitty faith. Um, so that's not, that's not trusting God. That's just delusion. Mm. Um, so to say that, I'm trusting God is not to say that I have this like outsized confidence that nothing bad will happen to us. Um, Bad things can happen to us. And, and, you know, the way of the cross is we are not, we are going to um, not try to do violence to other people to protect ourselves, Mm -hmm. but rather we're, we are willing to absorb suffering and pain rather than pass it on to others. And that's, that's the way of the cross. It's, and it's not, I mean, a bless, like there's a place for Psalm 91 right now. There, there really, really is. But, um, to, to say, you know, 10,000 may fall on my left hand and whatever on my right. I mean, sometimes nothing harms you. And sometimes we lay down our lives for the sake of the sheep. And we just don't know um, which time this is, what we know is when we live, we live for Christ. And when we die, it's gain. That's, that's the promise that allows us to not be shaken. And, you know, somebody else was passing around this quote of Martin Luther talking about his living in the time of the plague and saying, essentially, you know, I, I do everything I can in my power not to pass this on to other people. And then I do what I can faithfully do um, responsibly. And if it's my time 
then it is my time. And if not, I want God to find me living faithfully, right? I mean, believers have had to live in times of great uncertainty and in times of great personal risk. And honestly, that is, those have always been the times when the church has, has grown and thrived because others who have no hope beyond the grave have said, how is it that this group of people continues to find joy and meaning and hope in life when you know, the culture and the institutions that promised us these things are being revealed to be liars. So that's, that's good. So, well, what, so do you what else about? are you thinking about? <laughs> we got to get used to this Zoom thing. I know, I know, it, I know. you know, well, another thing we're, we're adjusting to. Um, okay. So here's what I'm thinking. Okay, You're going to edit all this out, right? No, I'm not. It's going to stay in. Uh, (laughs) So here's what I'm thinking about. And I have no answers and I need help. Um, I am thinking about how to on purpose live out our shared mission as a church. Because one of the things that is happening is that, okay, so I'm producing videos for YouTube. I'm going to be doing some Facebook Live. I'm going to be, you know, making these things and giving them out to the church in this kind of one-way communication. And I'm very concerned that that what's being set up is a sort of, of um, consumer relationship where the pastor produces and the congregation um, consumes. And I want to keep us focused on the mission. Our mission statement says that we exist to joyfully share the hope of Jesus. And I'm asking myself, well, how do we in this season as a congregation, emphasis on we, share the hope of Jesus? Not me, but we. And I I don't know if I have clear answers to that. So give me your wisdom. Give me the answer. Well, well, I think that's interesting that you asked this question because I think you're well, far more equipped for this season than I am. And I will share a story that you can't share. But years ago, when you were part of a different presbytery, you were invited to be part of their um, church revitalization group. And so you were the new person on this presbytery committee. And at your first meeting, people were kind of doing a recap and talking about plans and a little bit of hand wringing, sky is falling, which I think right now is appropriate <laughs> in most, in most uh, adjudicatory gatherings. And they sort of turned to you you're the new guy. What do you think? And you said, well, I think we need a season of deep prayer and fasting. And around the table, you told me that people looked at you like you were crazy, like you were naive, like you were, I don't, um, like posturing and, and really around the table, people's response to you is we don't have time to pray. We got to fix this. Mm -hmm. And I think your deep wisdom. And one of the ways that our friendship has been such a gift to me is that you constantly pull me back to the reality that, you know, it's not Jesus is coming. Look busy. (laughs) It's, um, Jesus is coming and let's dwell deeply in the spiritual realm from which comes our life and our truth and our power. And so I think, you know, there's a, um, there's a real um, opportunity to say to people, Hey, ultimately we are a people whose strength comes from our being grafted into the vine. And right now we, we really are very limited in our physical embodied expressions of being church and, and maybe since that's been taken away from us, we need to really grab on to the reality that in this season, we can be a community at prayer and we can be doing spiritual work. And so there are just great opportunities. If we believe what we say we believe, then to say, like, okay, let's call our church community to prayer. I'm sending you out 
you know, these pieces of scripture and this way of meditating upon it. And honestly, I'm never going to know whether you did it or not. And honestly, we're never going to know on this side of eternity what was grown from that soil. But if we believe what we say we believe and we're called to be a people of faith, then in this season, we need to be a people of prayer. And there are going to be ways individually that God will move us to live out of, to live out of that, um, living bread out of that spiritual fruit. But, you know, I, I, I'm a little worried about us doing, trying to do too much virtually and saying we've been sent to ourselves. So let's, let's pray and let's grow and let's, let's go deeper. And that's, I mean, that's what I've learned from you. And I think, so many of us mainline Christians, you know, it's about what we look like, not what we are. And so in this season to say, nobody's watching, right? <laughs> no one is watching. And, and all of our excuses have been taken away. You're not too busy. <laughs> you don't, you have time. You, you have, have time. I mean, all of our excuses have been taken. You have nowhere to go. You have nothing else to do. You have, no, you don't even have the power to do something else, even if you wanted to. All you can do right now is dig into the word and pray all in quotes, all you can do. But the reality is that should have been the ground of our being all, all along. So I think, you know, as leaders, if we can say to people, um, you know, let's not worry so much about being visible to people who might be looking for whatever. Let's just take this as a forced season of prayer and fasting and say, God, make, make something in us so that whenever life, re quote, returns to normal, we are forever changed on the other side of that. Wow. I'm also, I mean, like, whatever, I'm a busy bee. But, but well, I was going to say, I mean, I'm a busy bee. I have a million ideas of things that we're doing, but I, I need you to tell me to quit. <laughs> just pray, not just, and pray. Yeah, I, I'm feeling all kinds of ways about hearing what I've been <laughs> saying for a long time reflected back to me. Like, on the one hand, uh, I'm delighted. On the other hand, I'm like, you big dummy. Yes, you've been like... I've been <laughs> that drum for years in the church and it's like a big duh. Um, yeah, yeah, that was good. That was really helpful to me. And I, I guess, you know, part of, part of, you know, part of the ways he just helped me. Sorry, I have to go inside to get the plug for my computer. And so now you're going to hear children. No worries. Laughing. No, no worries because, um, um uh, I don't know if if our podcast listeners can hear it, but um, the sin nature of my six-year-old has taken over, and I can hear him in his bedroom next door jumping on the bed with great glee and delight. And uh, so well, I, I can't hear it, but uh, okay. But I just my phone, my uh, computer was about to to die, which would be the end of this particular <laughs> podcasting experience if that happens. So, okay, there we go. That's better. Um, no, I think, and it's funny now that I say this and we're thinking about it even more. One of the things that you've been saying to me is you have been wanting the people of Derida to do less. Um, and so now <laughs> this, you might've caused this whole thing to happen. Well. <laughs> <laughs> you've been trying to get people to say like, let's not in our anxiety, just start more programming. Let's really, yes. um, well, because one of fast and see what the Lord is doing. My, yeah, my point of view is that in many smaller congregations, I don't know about larger congregations because I don't pastor a larger congregation, but in many smaller congregations, there is just so much activity. People are working so hard to keep the church going, quote unquote, um, that, that people are exhausted. Yeah. And so this, this life in the spirit, this enjoying the presence of God, this walking in the spirit and by the spirit gets mi missed because we're, we're just trying to keep it going. And so I have, I've advocated for years that the church ought to pull back and let some, let some cherished uh, programming die off. 
for the sake of real life in Christ, real spiritual life. And so it, it is both it's both delightful and convicting to hear you reflect that back to me and, and um, ultimately very helpful. I'm, I'm taking it as um, I, I think, I think I just had a Holy spirit moment. Well, I mean, it shouldn't be convicting because I mean, I learned that from you. And so, you know, sometimes I think that's the nature of a good friendship of a gift uh, the kind of friendship that's a gift from God is that people just kind of remind you of who you are when your anxiety takes over. I mean, I think like mm. every other pastor, we all have anxieties right now. We have the normal anxieties of humans and then the extra, um, you know, sort of when we're not well yoked to Jesus. So when we've sort of um, gotten into our sin nature, into our flesh and kind of taken the responsibility for our communities onto our own shoulders. So it's no longer easy or light. It's just a burden and we're functioning in anxiety. Um, so, I mean, everybody, every pastor has that. And so I think then we realize we need one another to call ourselves back to like, Hey, this is this thing that we're doing. I mean, there's, there's a, it's not that it's without effort. I mean, there's effort and there is work, but it is, um, joy filled labor. It is life giving labor. Um, and it's not about earning. I mean, any revitalization that comes in our church is not going to come by us killing ourselves or by us betraying the very values of the kingdom that we say we're trying to magnify. So I think, yeah, in this season, we're saying to people in our community, um, we've been, we have we've lost something. Um, and also we've been given a gift and we need to, um, we need to take the gift cause we can't avoid the hit. Well, you've um, been, so, I mean, and then I will say you, you've been preaching a series, I believe on, um, uh, I think it's called crashing idols or breaking idols. What, what's the smashing idols, smashing, smashing idols. idols. Yes. I was close. And so I think yeah. one of the things that's happening in this season is that this idol, this especially this Western idol of self-sufficiency, this idol of, mm-hmm. you know, I, I have so much that in a sense, I, I, I feel like I'm kind of my own savior, that that, that rug is kind of being pulled mm-hmm. out from under us. And we're either going to grasp to put that idol back together or we will turn mm-hmm. to Christ, and so yeah, I, I think I think that's ha- one of the things that's happening, uh, not only in the church but in our whole society in this season. Yeah, and I I mean it's interesting because some of us minister as if we wake up every morning and go, okay, God, what else do you want me to do for you today? Yeah. I mean, we really have this totally unhealthy, burdensome understanding of our own level of responsibility and we function as if we're carrying the church on our backs and you know the the wrong kind of martyr the anti-martyr um so instead of the people who are joyfully laying down our lives and giving of our lives we are people who are just like a you know a, a, for, anyway, for, an anti-martyr for years, it was hard for me to even go on vacation because I thought, how is the church going to function? If I go away for two weeks, will it even be there when I get back? Yeah, right. Duh. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah. So I just think that, I mean, in this season, we have this great opportunity that everything has been disrupted. And then when we come back together again, we should really be thoughtful about what do we pick up again? And what do we then say in a, in a new world on the other side of this? maybe there are just new, there's new work that needs to be done and old work that needs to be celebrated and um, put to bed and new ways to gather that need to continue. I mean, you know, I've talked several times on this podcast about going to that, um, going to that conference on digital ministry and virtual ministry and, you know, and just the necessity of if we are really going to be a disciple making church, then we have to be present in meaningful ways in the virtual world because people who are seeking will seek where it's safe and the safe place to seek is in the virtual world. But we know that people need actual physical embodied communities, but we just need to meet people um, digitally first and start establishing some real relationships so that 
um, they can come into our physical communities. And so this has just forced us to do that. So, I mean, I will say like, we are doing some interesting things, trying to take advantage of the technology and trying not to overwhelm. But I mean, we are doing virtual small groups where I have asked people in the church um, to give me their cell phone numbers and I'm setting them up in groups of six people and then each group has a leader, and then I send a prompt to the leaders every morning, something they could engage their group with. They can they can use my prompt, they can use their own, they can do more, they can do less, but just a way, I mean, we text our friends all day long. And so one of those texts, it would be great just to encourage each other um, in, in that way. And honestly, the place where I've learned it is, my daughters don't have cell phones. Um, my oldest are 13 and 10. And so they are now at the point where they do text with some of their friends, but they use my phone. And so I see their texts and my daughters are part of this dance ministry where they take ballet and all their dance lessons and they have a group text. And it's amazing to see these high school girls you know, they get up every morning and they will send one another a Bible verse and they'll send one another a picture and they'll say, you know, hey, let's um, remember that we can be the light of Christ to somebody at school today. Or like after the dance class, when people were being disrespectful, they'll say to one another, hey, we really weren't giving our teachers the respect they deserve. So let's covenant with each other that we're really going to focus. And if someone talks to you, you're not going to answer them and don't get in your feelings about that if nobody answers you. And just to see them build community virtually in a way that's really authentic and really beautiful. And I'm like, well, if teenagers can do that, we adults can do that too. And, you know, we've just gotten a little spoiled. And sometimes when you're on the inside of a community that is meeting your emotional needs, it's just easy to become complacent instead of saying there are people who are not on the inside and they need people who are willing to reach out and reach out a hand and be willing to have a, a not superficial engagement with them. So we're doing virtual small groups and we're, um, doing some things where we asked different people in the church to make a short video that we would upload to our church um, Facebook page. Or we have a public one and a private one. And that might be people praying. It might be, we have a guy in our church who um, does conflict resolution for a living. And so we've asked him to make some short videos that people might be able to use with their families in this time. Um, I'm going to reach out later today to somebody in our church who's been on her personal Facebook page posting like some stories about meals she's making for her family. And I would just want to be like, Hey, Courtney, why don't you do just a five minute video of you, you know, making those homemade granola parfaits because mm. it's just good for people in the church to see your face and hear your voice and to just, you know, it's just a way to get to know one another. Um, so we're, we're trying to take advantage of the technology that we have to build relationships while we can't be together physically. And honestly, I think sometimes when we're together physically, you know, we only talk to the people we already know. And so having this virtual chance to connect is forcing some people to go deeper in relate. I mean, it's not forcing, it's creating an opportunity for people to build some relationships that they wouldn't have otherwise. So, um, we're doing, I've that. been, I've been amazed that, um, in this season, I have heard from some of the most introverted members of our church family um, digitally in ways that when we're together physically, they just don't say much because they're introverts. And I get that. And I thought, wow, this just gives them uh, a freedom to communicate in a different way. And I really appreciate that. Yeah. And it forces oversharers like me to shut up. <laughs> like, you know, like, but what? It happens it occasionally. Uh, so. Well, I, uh, I sent an email to our elders yesterday and um, the title of the email was, we are not in Kansas anymore. Because um, one of the things mm -hmm. I want to combat is this thinking that says, okay, we're just going to wait this quarantine thing out. We're just going to wait this coronavirus thing out. And then it's back to life as normal as we've known yeah. it as usual. And no, there is no clicking our heels and going back home. We, we are going to be in a, in, in a new situation and we've got to uh, 
start accepting that reality. And it's it's not a bad reality. It's just a different reality. And we can adjust. And it sounds like you guys are, are already making some giant steps toward that. Well, I... Um... Oh, it says my internet connection is unstable now. I don't know what that means. <laughs> Are you, can you hear better, me? Better, better, better your internet connection than, you know, life or finance or, or your spiritual <laughs> life, your mental health. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All those things. <laughs> I know. Well, all those things are unstable too, but no. it's just, okay. No. Um, but the birds yeah, I mean, I think, are lovely. Well, that's just, it's just a beautiful place where my portion that's been allotted to me is beautiful right now. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I know we probably need to wrap it up for now, but I, um, I do think, I mean, this conversation has been really fruitful for me and I do think, um, it makes me realize that I want to reach out to some key leaders in the church to just say, Hey, let's be, let's be in prayer about how we can be just really intentional about seeking God's will for us, both in this season and in the aftermath, that we're just saying, God, you know, give us the wisdom to be um, to be the community that you you desire on the other side of this. And it's interesting, like one of the simple little rituals that I'm trying to institute with my girls during this time of is we um, are having a morning meeting every morning, um, which is something they do in schools. And my girls have been leading it and it's like five minutes. Like they will, um, find a Bible verse and then they'll have some questions that they ask us about. And that's how I know that the youth ministry that my kids are part of is amazing. Cause all of a sudden they're like leading these little mini, um, Bible, Bible reflections. I mean, somebody has taught them to do this and it has not been me. So, um, but Callie found a verse this morning from James about, you know, ask the Lord for wisdom and he will not judge you and he will supply you all the wisdom you need. And I think a great verse for us in this season to say as a spiritual community that God, we know that people need the body of Christ and people need the church, the real church, the true church, the loving self-giving church now more than ever. So don't, um, you know, give us real wisdom about not to return to what we desire, but to return to what you desire. And um, that those might not initially be the same. Like I think eventually when we submit ourselves to doing the will of God, we always discover that that is better than what we desired. <laughs> but um, initially there can be a real difference between what we want and what God wants. And um, so, yeah, I, I think not just to, not just to act like this is some giant, coincidence. I don't think that God caused this, but I definitely think that um, God will use it if we, if we submit ourselves to that. So yeah, well, I'll tell you one other thing that I'm thinking about before we go. Um, I, uh, my concentration is for crap lately, let me just say, but um, I started reading another Brian Zond book, um, which is Water to Wine, which is kind of the story of his initial kind of um, reawakening. Um, and he was pastoring, a, a, you know, by the, by the culture standards, a really successful church and, um, just kind of realized that he never lost faith in Jesus, but he really looked at his church and realized he didn't have any faith in that, that it just wasn't, it, it wasn't real. It was, you know, well-meaning and it was authentic, but it was pretense, um, and disassociated from, the Jesus in the Bible. And, and anyway, as part of that time of seeking, and he said he spent the first 22 days of the year 2008 fasting and in prayer. And, um, at the end of that, he was praying and he said, God and praying about what the church should be and that God gave him five words. And he says, I didn't think of these words, um, they were shot into my mind. They came as quickly as I could write them down. I didn't conjure them from within. They came as words from elsewhere. Um, and he said he didn't understand what they meant. Um, but the words were cross, mystery, eclectic, community, revolution. And he says, at the time, I had no idea that those five words hastily scribbled in a moleskin notebook because aside, of course he had a moleskin notebook, but whatever, um, that these five words would help guide and define our church for the next decade. And, um, 
anyway, and, and then he has like a section where he talks about the meaning of each of those words, those five words, and they're very powerful. And I um, was just thinking, I mean, it's intriguing for me and we have um, guiding principles and we have core values at the Grove um, that are um, creativity, diversity, opportunity, risk-taking and love. And um, those are real for us, but that's a little different than what he was doing. So anyway, I've just been thinking about what are, what are the five words or praying about, you know, what are the five words, the five concepts or ideas that are real. I mean, and before I jumped to the church, just in me, um, and especially his reflection on the cross about, yeah, I mean, how like the cross, I mean, the cross always meant something to him, but it didn't really mean anything to him and like really understanding. I mean, and it's just interesting because it's clear to me, I don't know a lot about him, but it's clear to me that he came from a, um, charismatic evangelical background. And so then in this process, he discovers a lot of people who are, who are already very important to me, like Bonhoeffer and Eugene Peterson and just, you know, just kind of, um, um, Walter Brueggemann. <laughs> and, um, so it's just a, but, you know, coming into this totally new way of understanding the truth that's been at the center of his life, our life all along. And I think that happens to us we've been talking about this as a disorientation, but we have awakenings in our lives if we're paying attention. Um, And so, I don't know, I've just been thinking about what my, what those words might be for me. What are things that I know are crucial to the gospel and yet they're not lived experiences in my walk with Jesus. So that's what I'm thinking about. Great. Sorry, I'm taking. I'm, I'm taking. I'm taking notes. I'm sorry. I was. I know. No, no, no. It's fine. This is, let me just tell you. No, it didn't come out that way. It's fine. No, I'm going to tell you a better story, and we're almost done. But my very good friend Elizabeth, one of my just most beloved people, just one of the huge. I mean, I just cannot say enough about. Um, the gift that this woman is in my life. And she's um, a music leader. And last night when the shelter in place or came down, I um, flipped a little bit. And then I recorded this um, really simple video in our bedroom and just kind of sharing with the church. Like, I don't know what this means. I'm kind of freaking out. If you're freaking out, it's okay. And, you know, here's where I'm finding hope, whatever. And I did it because um, our ministry coordinator, Rachel, had been saying, like, I just need you to put more videos of yourself up there. People need to see your face and share how you're going through this. So I did it. Um, And I just, I mean, it was a very real kind of raw moment for me. And this morning, Elizabeth called me and she was like, man, that video, it was just pathetic. (laughs) She was like, and she was meaning like pathos, like you were sharing your emotion, like it made me feel sympathy for you. But I was like, cool. That's what everyone wants to hear in her life. It's like, wow, that video you made, it was just pathetic. And something about that moment reminded me of this moment when I'm like, here's what I'm thinking. And you're like, long, awkward pause. That's great. (laughs) I I didn't mean it that way. I was actually (laughs) taking notes. And because I am a single track mind introvert, I had a hard time shifting from taking notes to talking. And so, yeah, that didn't come out the way (laughs) I intended. It's fine. It's a season of humility for me. It's a humbling, humbling season. But um, anyway, water to wine. Some of my story Brian's on, I think is really good. I'm on a little bit of a Brian Zahn run right now. Yeah, I know this. um, I recommend it. Yes, yes, yes. So um, what are you preaching on this week? Can I confess that I don't know yet? Um, You can confess that you don't know yet. I'm, it's not I'm, even a confession. It's only Wednesday. Well, it but it's Wednesday. It's Wednesday. And um, <laughs> I, know. I, I have two things in mind. Number one, if I continue with our series, uh, we've been in a series on um, the parables of the kingdom and uh, the last parable of the kingdom in Matthew chapter 13, which is slated to be the last one in the series. 
is the parable of the net uh, in which Jesus says, uh, you know, fishermen let down a great net into the lake. They caught all kinds of fish. And then the fishermen separated the good fish from the bad fish. And uh, he says, you know, pretty much so it will be in the end. Um, uh, God will collect the, the righteous and the unrighteous will, will burn and um, so be warned. And it, it, is, a, it is both a, a text about um, warning concerning the end and it is a call to those who follow Jesus to be intentional about casting the gospel net into the lake, the sea, the ocean of the world. And so that is kind of in the background that's in the series. But considering the, the crisis that we're in, I'm also thinking about a text. Corona apocalypse. What's that? No, <laughs> the Corona apocalypse. No, <laughs> the Corona apocalypse. Not corona apocalypse. Yeah, uh, but uh, one that's been very meaningful to me over the years. Um, uh, you know, because as an introvert, I am often in my head. I mean, not often. I live in my head. The conversation that goes on in my head is usually loud, usually louder than the conversation I'm having with people. And, and that's just how introverts are. And so one of the, 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 the texts that's special to me is, is where the Apostle Paul says, Take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. And so I was just thinking about in this season where we have all kinds of thoughts that enter our heads. Some generate from our own minds and souls, and some are on the television when we watch 24-hour news. Um, you know, Paul is very clear when he says, take every thought captive, the Greek is, you know, you, it, it means to spear and it means to spear the thought so that you stop it. And then you examine it in light of the gospel. And if it is a, um, if it's a gospel thought, if it's a thought in line with the truth of the gospel, then you keep it. And if it's not, you throw it out. And so I'm thinking that just might be a really good spiritual practice for us in this season to take our thoughts captive and to examine them and, and see if they are obedient to the, the, or in line with the gospel of Christ. So that's what I'm, I'm thinking about preaching. I'm not sure yet. Well, I have two thoughts about your thinking. And the first is this, as you were talking, I was thinking, boy, I am glad for your sake that you're not, last year you did 52 weeks of joy. <laughs> Aren't you glad that your word for 2020 is Jesus and not joy? Like, wouldn't it be awful to be preaching through the middle of the Corona apocalypse and having to actually joy every week? No, I'm actually, I could, I could, I could preach joy right now. I mean, I. Okay. Well, then let me just say on behalf of the listening world, if you can preach joy right now, you should probably reprise that because I think it is in short supply. Mm. Um, mm. Okay. That, and the other I thing I would say is helpful. Yes. I mean, I, I think you should. And the other thing I say is um, it's funny that you might preach on take every thought captive because I wrote a blog post for my church last week about my struggle with anxiety and how I am not taking every thought captive right now. <laughs> so oh. I just think it's funny. Amazing. I, huh. um, which I said to you. So now it's out. You didn't read it, but <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. So wrong. So wrong. So wrong. So wrong. It's fine. So, so fine. what are you preaching? Um, well, interestingly enough, titles? yes, because when I was planning 2020, I missed March 29th. What is this? The 29th? Is that what the Sunday is? Like yeah. I went from the 22nd to April 5th. Like I just missed a whole week. And well, so remember, remember I last realized, year, remember last year when you missed I the first Sunday of Advent? I mean, I miss things sometimes, which is why I have a group of people that I give these things to. And I'm like, what do you see? What do you notice? What do you miss? Anyway, whatever. I realized it last Saturday, like, oh gosh, we have another week before Holy Week. So, um, so we have one more idol. And I think that the idol we are going to do is control, um, which seems really relevant for this That's moment. Good. That's yes. good. That's good. Um, so I'm trying to think about like what text to go along with that. Um, 
because I think, I mean, the reality is we're not in control. We've never been in control. Mm. Um, but sometimes we, we, we like to pretend we, we buy that lie that if we just do X, Y, or Z, we'll be in control and just sort of accepting the reality that we're not in control is actually incredibly freeing. Um, and, and empowering. And I think the only way that we can be fully used in the kingdom of God is when we know that, you know, what is in us isn't of us and that what is in us is not what we're relying on. Um, so the passages that have sprung to mind, honestly, I mean, I just, well, I should just say, fundamentally, I wonder if people who need to be in control if you need to be in control, I wonder what kind of a ministry you can really have. Because it seems to me that people who are used by the Lord in extraordinary ways were people who really embraced the fact that what God was asking them to do was not what they could do, right? So, I mean, I, and the the story that immediately leaps to my mind is the valley of the dry bones, right? Of being brought to this place where you're just surrounded by death and despair and you're told to do this thing, you know, bring these bones back to life, which whatever, I can't do that. And then you're told, well, preach to the bones, prophesy to the bones. And you, I mean, if you have to be in control, then you just look at that situation and go, I don't have the power to bring back the dead. Therefore, I'm not going to do the thing. I do have the power power to do because I can't control mm. its effect to get the necessary result. And I think a lot of times we do that, right? Like there are just things we can't do, meditate on scripture, pray for one another, um, gathering community, worship. Like we could do those things, but we look at them and we go, mm, I, they're not going to produce what I need to have produced in my life. So I'm not going to do them, right? Like, and, and so I think if we want to be used by God, we have to be comfortable with the idea that we are not in control of the outcomes of our faithfulness. So um, I think the prophet Ezekiel in that moment just was like, okay, I can't raise these bones from the dead, but I, okay, I will preach even though I'm an idiot, right? Even though it's an, you are literally an idiot to stand in a field full of dead bones preaching a sermon to them. That is foolishness. Um, and yet in that moment of saying, well, I can't control, but I can be obedient. And out of that foolish obedience comes this extraordinary manifestation of the power of God. So you see it in Ezekiel. And I'm also thinking about maybe if I want to stay in the gospels doing um, Jesus sending out the, um, you know, sending out the 70 and don't take anything with you and just go into these homes and preach and heal the sick and just do these things that, you know, go ahead and do this thing you can't do. And so if you have to control, you're just going to say no, Jesus. But if you are able to say like, okay, I'm not in control, but I can be faithful. Then you got into this place and extraordinary things happened. And also, you know, they came back and said, oh, there were these spirits that we couldn't, um, that we couldn't heal, that we couldn't exercise. And so the reality is like, it's, it's just messy. Um, so I don't know. That's what I'm thinking about preaching for this day on control. Well, I will uh, um, try to tune into your, uh, I won't be able to watch live, but I watched um, your, um, your post of your service last week and it was really good and people ought to watch it and look forward to seeing it this week. Well, thanks friend. So what do you think I should do? Do you think I should do Ezekiel or do you think I should do Jesus sending out the 70? I like Ezekiel um, just because it's so clear that the prophet is not in control. Um, as a matter of fact, when God, God says to the prophet, can these bones live again? The prophet is, is kind of stuck, right? And he, and, he, and he does play it just right. But on the one hand, he doesn't glibly say, well, yeah, they can live again, of course. Because uh, he sees the reality, but on the other hand, he he knows that God is able, and so it's it is just way beyond his control, and and so he simply goes back to, Lord, you know, you know. So I I I yeah. I would lean toward that text. Yeah. 
I just don't have any commentaries for that text. <laughs> so that's this is all. I don't know if you've heard, but like <laughs> everything is closed down. Anyway, so yes, that's what I'm thinking about. I'll let you know what we do. But um, well, we are grateful that we still get to make this podcast and the fact that you listen to it. Um, and we got to get your webcam. We got to get your webcam. I mean, I'm good. That what's nice about the setup right now is that I can see Yolando and he can't see me. And I mean, this works for me. Um, anyway, I am wrapping up this podcast. Um, we are really grateful to you all for listening um, and for reaching out to us and encouraging us. It really means a lot. Um, if you want to, and you should want to learn more about Jorida and listen to some of Yolanda's messages, you can Google Jorida Presbyterian Church, and you can go to the Podbean website and search for Jorida Church. And if you want to learn more about The Grove, you can go to thegrovecharlotte.org. You can search for us on Facebook. Um, we've got a lot of good stuff going up there. Um, and you can also listen to um, previous sermons uh search for the grove charlotte on itunes and we will talk to you next week thanks